Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Songcraft, please take a moment right now to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also hear streaming episodes on Spotify. To receive a bi-weekly email with new episode announcements, sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com. You can also keep up with us via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for one word, Songcraft Show. To find out more about how you can help support our mission while getting access to bonus content, exclusive contests, and other extras, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. You're listening to This Town is Killing Me, written and performed by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Caitlin Smith. She'll join us in a few moments to discuss the hits she's written for other artists, including Wasting All These Tears for Cassidy Pope, You Can't Make Old Friends for Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, and Like I'm Gonna Lose You for Megan Trainer featuring John Legend. We'll also dive deep on her own critically acclaimed albums as an artist on Monument Records, including her latest release, Supernova. Part 1. Well, Scott, here we begin another week of tricking our listeners into thinking we're together. Um, I like to call this the disingenuous period of the Songcraft podcast. They'll never be the wiser. Oh, crap, we just told them. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, thanks to the magic of, of Pro Tools and technology, as as glitchy as it is, uh, we've had our problems with it today, um, it's sort of helping us sound like we're in the same room uh, with each other and with these great songwriters, so... Um, thanks, Thomas Edison. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad that Ben Franklin flew that kite. Oh my gosh. Where would we be? Where would we be without <laughs> that? Um, so, you know, uh, we, we talked recently about some, some writers and artists who had unfortunately passed away recently, um, due to COVID-19. Um, but we had a legend, uh, over this past weekend who died, uh, from other causes, um, but the world lost an absolute icon, Little Richard. Yeah, man. Making George's own Richard Penniman. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things where, where you look and, you, and you're like, wow, man, how, how did Little Richard even survive as long as he did into, <laughs> into this era? Um, you, you think about someone who was as active as he was in the early 50s. Um, yeah. And then to think that that we we only just now uh, lost him. It's actually it's it's pretty amazing. Just that he performed well into his old age, um, and just was uh, always a, a part of the conversation. Particularly if you want to talk about the the formative parts of rock and roll, and and yeah, you know how much I love Elvis. But I think Little Richard actually uh, could really stake a claim to being the inventor of rock. Yeah, well, Little Richard would not argue uh, with you on that. Uh, <laughs> He'd argue with me on a, a myriad of things, I'm sure, but but not on that one. He uh, he brought the uh, Muhammad Ali swagger to rock and roll before there was such a thing <laughs> totally. as Muhammad Ali swagger. In fact, uh, in the early 70s, Little Richard uh, cut an album called The King of Rock and Roll, which uh, I think was uh, in, in no small part a, a challenge to the label that Elvis had received. Yeah. And I know that you, uh, as you say, you're a big Elvis. Elvis uh, fan, but um, I, I'm not sure that Little Richard uh, isn't wrong about that. Well, I mean, you, you think about the things that Elvis was putting out in the early days, and a lot of it was Little Richard covers. I mean, that there's <laughs> right. kind of your your first indication of sort of who got there first. Um, you know, Tutti Frutti, 
um, Ready Teddy, songs like that, um, that Little Richard already had out for like a year or so. Uh, I think um, the biggest distinction comes when you say, well, what what was the kind of big bang of it all? Was it, you know, creating this music or was it bringing it over to a more mainstream, let's just say white audience, um, yeah. which is kind of the role that Elvis played um, as sort of a, a conduit. He was sort of a distribution yeah. model for uh, the broader public. Um, but what he was bringing over was sort of an alchemy that Little Richard had already, you know, perfected. Really, you're talking about mixing the music of the church and, and uh, what sort of soul and R&B was doing. And uh, Little Richard, uh, whatever he claimed, I think Little Richard could deserve to claim it. Yeah. And even just like sort of the notion of the type of performance that he gave, um, the stage persona that he had. I mean, Little Richard had this thing that that, you know, we didn't really see again until Prince, which was kind of this like ambiguous sexuality um, that was like definitely very appealing to to women but at the same time you're like is this guy straight or right. is he not and you know that was sort of incorporated into the whole persona and i mean when prince was doing that in the in the 80s it seemed pretty edgy right. uh little richard was doing that in the 50s i mean it was 1955 that right. tutti frutti became a big hit um and so not only was he a pioneering artist and performer and musician but even in terms of just the architect of kind of some of the the stage um persona that would become part of the whole kind of rock and roll frontman yeah. ethos of the uh, sexually charged, but sometimes sexually vague and, you know, outrageous and jumping up and down and playing the piano with your feet and, you know, all of the stuff that kind of became um, the rock and roll uh, archetype was all the way back to, to little Richard that that's, he was a big part of it along with Elvis and, and Jerry Lee and, and Chuck Berry. I mean, those guys were, literally creating a genre. I think the one thing that may, you know, be missing from the Little Richard resume when it comes to, you know, inventing rock would be, I think country plays a role in there somewhere. Uh, and I think, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis and, you know, Johnny Cash, I would say as well, kind of uh, had had uh, their finger on the pulse of what it meant to sort of bring that influence in and sort right. of the, the rockabilly side of it. Um, yeah. But again, I don't think any of that would have happened unless little Richard had already been doing what he was doing before then. So, you know, yeah. uh, were they sort of adding to, to what he had invented? Uh, who knows? But it all happened in this sort of like two or three year crucible um, with yeah. all these guys kind of around each other. You know, the other thing that, that I, I've always sort of in, in the Elvis argument, given Elvis credit for is to say, you know, there would be no Beatles if there were no Elvis. But you know what? There would be no Beatles if there weren't Little Richard either. I mean, Paul McCartney really, really wanted to be Little Richard. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and there was no shortage of Little Richard material in the early uh, Beatles repertoire, no right. doubt. Um, it's interesting that you you know bring up the thing about the country influence. Um, my favorite Little Richard album was put out in 1970, which is kind of uh, after the glory days of, of the 50s. But he did a record called The Real Thing uh, in 1970 that was recorded at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals. And it was um, 
It had a couple songs on there, like Do Drop In, that were kind of more in that vein of the traditional, you know, Little Richard uh, sound. But a lot of the stuff was kind of more of that Muscle Shoals, you know, Southern Soul sound. Um, and his voice was really well suited to to that type of thing. Um, yeah. And I love that record. But one of the one of the tracks on there is a cover of Love Sick Blues by Hank Williams. Oh, wow. And it's just sort of illustrates again that the the color line um in the formation of rock and roll um was not such a definite thing because you see clearly a guy like little richard is influenced by country music and you see you know johnny cash and and elvis influenced by gospel and r&b and all these guys were soaking up a lot of these same influences and then in turn influencing each other. Um, but I really love, you know, that, that record in particular. And that's one of the reasons why is it's just this sort of encapsulation of, of Southern musical influences, both black and white. Um, and that's a a record that I would recommend people, uh, seek out if they want to get like a little bit of a different view of little Richard than maybe the, the most well-known stuff. That's, that's a record that I will go check out because that sounds intriguing to me as well. So, um, yeah, you, you guys, uh, listeners, uh, a little bit of listening homework uh, from your Songcraft uh, spring semester instructors here, um, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll have we'll be accepting your reports in the coming weeks. And you know, we did uh, we did uh, an episode a while back where we um, Rolling Stone magazine had put out the um, 100 greatest songwriters of all time, and we did our own uh, list called the 100 other greatest songwriters of all time, and we talked about um, the writers that we thought uh, were deserving of being on that Rolling Stone list that maybe you know didn't make it for one reason or another, but just as easily could have. And if I remember right, I think our number one. Uh, songwriter choice was Little Richard and his collaborator Bumps Blackwell. Um, and we had, you know, talked about this same thing of the sort of the architects of this whole genre. And, um, you know, when you look at Tutti Fruity, Long Tall Sally, Slippin' and Sliding, Lucille, Keep a Knockin', these are songs that Little Richard not only popularized, but he also wrote. Yeah. So, you know, not just a performer, but uh, but a songwriter, um, which is exactly why we're celebrating him and, and talking about him here on, on Songcraft. Um, definitely uh, a pivotal figure in, um, you know, along with, with Chuck Berry and Buddy Holly in terms of defining what rock and roll songwriting even is. You're telling me that we already had this conversation. That's That's basically what you're saying. I think that at this point, you and I have had like seven or eight conversations <laughs> only ever. We've just had each one of them about fifty times. <laughs> uh, that, that may be that may be the recipe for friendship. <laughs> that is, and fortunately, we're now becoming so senile we don't remember uh, ever having talked about any of the things that we've already talked about. So it's like it's like making a new friend every time we hang out. Yeah, and and that's why we're so glad to have um, this group of listeners, uh, maybe to remind us, uh, y- you've already told that story, Grandpa. It's <laughs> a necessary part of aging. So um, thanks for all of you for coming along with us and letting us know if that's the case. But uh, you know what? Uh, Little Richard deserves to be talked about more than twice. Um, and exactly. Uh, especially, <laughs> you know, how can you be left off of any songwriting list uh, if if you're freaking Little Richard? That's crazy. Um, so yeah. I'm I'm glad we get a chance to honor him again on this platform. 
Well, you know, speaking of this platform, um, when we first uh, started trying to figure out how we were going to do this show in the age of COVID-19, um, one of the, um, actually the, the next interview that we had had scheduled um, was with Caitlin Smith, who uh, is our guest on this episode. And she was going to be coming out to Los Angeles and uh, we were going to um, have her in person uh, on the show. And then the world uh, quickly changed. Uh, her trip got canceled. Everything got pretty much shut down. Um, and we don't always put out uh, our interviews here in the order in which they were recorded. So uh, what everybody's going to hear today is actually um, the first interview that we recorded once the COVID-19 thing really uh, took hold. Um, we hadn't quite figured out how we were going to uh, to, to get both you and I and uh, the guest all on one call without right. having everybody on one channel. Um, so this was our, our first experiment and uh, wound up just being me having a conversation with uh, Caitlin. Um, so now we have advanced again, thanks to the wonderful uh, inventors who came before us and yep. their technology. Uh, we can, Tesla, we figured thank out. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, now we know uh, what we're doing. Well, we don't know what we're doing, but uh, we've, we've figured out how, how we can all be on a call together. But this was before that happened. Um, so this was one that uh, that I did uh, solo. Very interesting conversation with a very interesting writer. And uh, so, Paul, you're going to get to to hear this uh, for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, I you know, I hope nobody's tuning out right now when they hear that I'm not going to be a part of it. Um, I know that you know, we've got factions in our listeners and, you know, are you a Paul guy or a Scott guy? I hope yeah. even if you're a Paul guy, you stick around for this. Um, because you know, wow. Scott, what's this strangely? Scott's I'm, I'm, I'm seeing our, I'm seeing our download numbers like just spike right now. They're just going through the roof all of a sudden right wow. here in real time. I guess people are pretty excited about me doing this one solo. Well, okay. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I can I can do like my own thing. I mean, wait, whatever. I, I'll I will bow to the will of the people. Um, but I'll I'll need those numbers in some sort of downloadable format so I can go over them myself. So, yeah, I'll work on that. Uh, it you know exporting them is a whole thing. It's it's really complicated. So yeah. you know I'll take your word for but it. Take my word for it. Yeah. Well, uh, looking forward to hearing it. Seeing what all the fuss is yeah. about with you. Yeah. Well, hey, get, buckle up, buddy, because here we go. <laughs> Part two. Minnesota native Caitlin Smith found her way to Nashville as a songwriter before signing with Monument Records and earning a nod as one of Rolling Stone magazine's 10 new artists you need to know. Her second album, Supernova, was recently released to critical acclaim. Caitlin's list of hit songs that have been recorded by other artists includes Wasting All These Tears, a top five single for Cassidy Pope, You Can't Make Old Friends by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, and Like I'm Gonna Lose You, a multi-platinum hit for Megan Trainor featuring John Legend. Smith, along with co-writers Kate York and Mary Steenburgen, won a Critics' Choice Award for the song Glasgow, No Place Like Home from the film Wild Rose. Other artists who've recorded Caitlin's songs include Laurie McKenna, Lucy Hale, Jason Aldean, Garth Brooks, Rascal Flatts, Laura Bell Bundy, Chris Isaac, Lindsay L., Lady Antebellum, and Trisha Yearwood.
Caitlin, welcome to Songcraft. Thanks for having me, Scott. I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, you recently released Supernova, your second album for Monument Records. Uh, the final track is called Lonely Together, and you've said that the title track is a sad love song about how short life is. And suddenly, you know, this all takes on a very different slant, given that the album was released right around the time that we all realized how serious this coronavirus threat was going to be. Um, now, obviously, in an ideal world, a global pandemic probably isn't the best time to drop a new record. Um, <laughs> how are you adjusting to this new reality in terms of, you know, finding fresh ways to connect with fans and, and potential new fans when you, you know, literally can't go anywhere? Yeah, it's definitely been an adjustment. Um, we were out on tour and had to cut our, our tour short and, and come home off the road. And so um, so that's been hard to release a record in this uh, in this time where we can't go out and see the fans. But, um, you know, you've got to just do with what you have. And so I've been... Uh, Connecting with fans, like the beauty of social media, has really been so so strong in this in this season. Um, and so I started an Instagram live show called Lonely Together, which is the last track on the record. Um, and am meeting fans there twice a week to discuss um, songwriting and inspiration, and um, and then just trying to connect with people as much as I can through through this little phone in my hand it's it's uh it's kind of crazy but i'm grateful that there is at least a way to get out there to connect with people i think you're having some some guests come on and and talk a little bit about the the format and how you came up with that concept what's exciting about this is i'm not just getting on and and playing my songs like i'm having guests come on the show and it's this conversation series and so um i started off with patrick droney who's an incredible singer-songwriter um, who I wrote Lonely Together with. Um, my last guest was Mary Steenburgen, who most people know as an incredible actor, but she also is an incredible songwriter. Um, and so, you know, we take, we take time to just um, talk about songs that we've written together, things that inspire us. Um, you know, share a song or two if we want. And um, my hope is that it can just be um, a little light in the day to some folks and maybe yeah. help pass the time for those of us that are bored. Um, <laughs> so I'm having fun with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to talk about the song Fly Away from your new album. I've heard you say that you were listening to a lot of Patty Griffin when you were writing the record and, and, you know, a good bit of, of her influence came through on that song. Talk about that track in particular, and then give us some insight into some of your other songwriting influences that have been really important to, to shaping your sensibilities. Well, I was listening to a lot of um, Patty Griffin's Flaming Red in the last couple of years. Um, I know it's an old record, but I kind of dug it back up and, 
um, just couldn't stop listening to it. Hmm. Um, when we wrote Fly Away, uh, I was thinking a little bit about her song Tony. Uh, I just love like this happy production and the juxtaposition to this very, very tragic lyric. Right. Um, and, you know, so we were playing this kind of happier thing, and um, and I kind of was brought back in my mind to to a time where, you know, my husband and I just had a really rocky patch in our marriage. And so, um, so the song is, I mean, it's a true story. It's talking about how, um, you know, my husband and I were... We were having a hard time, but uh, we decided, man, we just need to get away from Nashville for a while and the, the noise that's here. And so we just bought a one-way ticket and flew back to Minnesota, you know, and and worked on ourselves. And and uh, and so it's a very vulnerable song for me, but um, it's definitely near and dear to my heart. Um, and other influences, I mean, I listen to so much music, but I am drawn to uh, singer-songwriters, and so uh, Carol King, I'm such a Carol King fan, um, yeah. that record Tapestry is one of my all-time favorites, and so, you know, there's a song on the record called Feel That Way, that is just me always, I, I'm always trying to figure out how to write Natural Woman, I think it's just one of the best songs ever written, right. and the, the, the easy, breezy lyric and the feelings that 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 song brings i'm i just i'm just um obsessed with it and so um feel that way on this record is kind of my tip of the hat to carol I understand you grew up in a small town in Minnesota and released three independent albums between 2001 and 2007 before ultimately relocating to Nashville. Talk about your your early musical journey and what prompted you to really, you know, take the plunge and and make that big move to to go to Nashville, you know, far from home. Yeah, I grew up in a small little town just about an hour south of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And um, it was a great place to grow up. I was able to play a lot of music and put together a band at a young age. And um, I, took, I took a lot of trips from my little town to, to Minneapolis, like while I was in high school. And, and Minneapolis actually has a very rich um, music scene. And um, I mean, I was very grateful to, to be able to grow up around that. And and I ended up moving after high school. I moved to Minneapolis and, and um, you know, cut my teeth in, in playing the bars there. But I, I heard that if you want to do music, that Nashville is a place to go. And so while, while Minneapolis was such a fantastic place to just kind of figure out what the heck I was doing, um, I, I was drawn and curious about what Nashville had to offer. And so I made my way down there, and um, the first thing that I found out was not that it was just Music City, not that it was just this place where country music lies, um, that there was this 
incredible songwriting community. And um, I instantly felt drawn to it and fell in love with it. And so, you know, that I didn't just up and move. You know, I, I made a little more calculated decision where I, I was like, well, I, I saw that, that being a songwriter could actually, a staff songwriter could actually be a job. Mm-hmm. And I figured, man, that's a really great, that's a really great plan B in my mind. Like, I've always wanted to be the artist, always wanted to be the singer, but I was seeing these people writing these songs, making money, and um, so it was super inspiring to me. And so, um, you know, while I was living in Minneapolis, I was taking trips back and forth, and I would save up enough money playing bars and stuff in, in Minnesota that I would drive down and, and, you know, sleep on people's couches and, and meet people in Nashville. Um, and I did that for years until... Finally, um, I had my first publishing deal offer, and so that's what made me actually move. Well, the the first cut that we could find of yours as a songwriter is It Ain't Easy from Jason Aldean's 2010 album My Kind of Party. about that that moment of, of finally kind of getting what is an important milestone is the is first real cut that's released on somebody's album. This happens, you know, I think with a lot of young writers, is it's a, a season of life where you're just kind of dating other songwriters. You're trying to find <laughs> your circle of writers that you collaborate really well with. And so you're writing at least five days a week. When I moved to town... I think sometimes I was doing doubles most days, so you're writing anywhere between five and ten songs a week, <laughs> wow. and you're busting your butt, and you're and you're meeting new people every day, and it's it's exhausting, it's crazy, um, but it's an incredible uh, time where you're just you're learning the craft, you're learning how to get in a room with a stranger and make something up, um, but. You know, it was, it was pretty bizarre because I was doing it for about uh, six months and turning in songs, and that's when I landed my first cut, which was very surprising because I've heard that it takes way longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> and quick. So that for me, it was pretty quick. And um, so I was pretty pretty blown away. I, re- I remember that moment of getting the phone call about the cut, Um just like it was yesterday, because that's what you dream of, you know, that someone else loves one of your songs as much as you do, enough that they want to put it on on their record. And so it's a pretty, pretty magical moment I'll never forget. Yeah. Well, your first hit as a songwriter came with Wasting All These Tears, which became a top five country song and top 40 pop song for Cassidy Pope in 2012. And you left me.
not only did you have your first hit, but you got to share it with your husband, Raleigh Galswick, who wrote that with you and with whom you also collaborated in the song, Damn You for Breaking My Heart, on the new album. Um, talk a little bit about the dynamics of writing with your spouse in terms of the particular joys and challenges that that can bring. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Raleigh is one of my favorite collaborators. And, um, you know, sometimes we sit down with a bottle of wine and one of our close friends, and um, and it's total joy. And sometimes we get in a fight on the way to the co-write, and it's not so fun, and there's, <laughs> it's awkward for the other person in the room. Um, but there's there's just a beautiful dynamic because um, we each have our own kind of space in the writing room. I know what what he's really good at, and he knows where where I you know my strengths lie, and so we complement each other really well in the writing room. I joke that um, you know we write a lot of breakup songs, <laughs> right? And um, but we're very very happy, no worries. <laughs> um, but I think we kind of just work out our marital issues in the writing room <laughs> a little right. bit, and um, you know it it makes for um, you know these pretty emotional songs. Well, the world recently lost Kenny Rogers, whose duets with Dolly Parton in the 1980s were absolutely iconic. Um, And you co-wrote their last single together, You Can't Make Old Friends, which was released in the fall of 2013. And, you know, not only that, but you got to write it with Don Schlitz, who wrote The Gambler, which is pretty special in and of itself. Can't make old Can't make old, old friends It was me and you since way back when But you can't make old friends Yeah, I'm absolutely devastated that we've lost Kenny and he has left the world um, with some incredible music, and I'm very, very grateful for that. But that's definitely a hard one. Yeah. Um, but I'm also very grateful to have been a part of this song, um, and it still, it still, even this, to this day, doesn't quite feel real to me. Um, when I moved to town, John Schlitz uh, took me under his wing and taught me a ton about songwriting. Kind of became my mentor. We've written dozens and dozens of songs together. And um, the story of You Can't Make Old Friends was that Don was being inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I remember him saying that Kenny was there and he was um, presenting him with some award that night and pulled him aside and said, hey, I've got this song title. I'm wondering if you would want to write it for me. It's You Can't Make Old Friends. And Don said, sure, I'll give it a try. And so the next week, I was on the books to write with Don, and we sat down, and he said to me, how, how would you like to try and, and write this song for Kenny Rogers? And I said, well, that sounds like a blast. Like, <laughs> let's, let's try it. And, um, and so we had already had the title, and, you know, Don and I write very, very quickly together, so the song kind of just fell out in, in about an hour, and... Uh, we emailed it to Kenny and and didn't hear anything back for about six months. So we were like, hmm, maybe he didn't like it. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, 
And then months later, we come to find that um, that Kenny was recording it, and not only was he going to do it, but he wanted to celebrate 30 years um, since Islands in the Stream was released with Dolly right. uh, by pulling her in on this song and singing it together. And I just still cry every time I hear, hear a recording of this song. Um, the two of them together are just magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, forever I will be grateful to have been a part of that. There's this sort of system in Nashville that I find fascinating. It's it's almost like um, it's almost like an apprenticeship system where you have writers who've been around for a long time and they know they've got the craft down. Like they know what to do, but what they're looking for is ideas. And then you've got young writers coming into town that are bursting with ideas, but don't have as much experience with the craft. And you see this sort of like generational thing happening where it's like the new writers come in, they've got fresh ideas, they wind up writing with the veteran writers, and it's like this mutually beneficial relationship. And then those newer writers become more experienced, they learn the craft, and then over time, they wind up becoming the ones who are writing with the the next wave of, of young writers who are coming to town, it's, it's, you know, I mean, the show is called song craft. So we're obviously fascinated by the, the craft of songwriting, but <laughs> the way it works in Nashville is almost like this very literal passing down and, and kind of training ground for, for songwriters. I think that's probably a fairly unique uh, thing that, that is like this unspoken Nashville tradition. It absolutely is. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm very, very grateful that that's kind of the way that Nashville uh, works and moves. A lot of my favorite songwriters um, are actually like the, the, a generation older than me, yeah, about 10 years older than me. And um, they've already had, you know, dozens of hits. And um, But the incredible thing is they, they do write with these younger writers and and, um, you know, I've learned from so many of them, from um, Amy Mayo, Troy Virgis, and Gordy Sampson, like, that are actually on this record, Supernova. Um, and, I, I mean, it's, it's incredible, and I'm so very grateful, um, you know, that they, that they take the time to do that. But, but it is true. It's kind of like this give and take, too, because, you know, you, I, I've been in Nashville now for uh, 11 years. Right. And so, you know, walking in very green, um, getting to kind of learn the craft, appreciate the craft, like that, it's been an incredible journey um, to be able to write with these people. But now, being here 10 years, I'm definitely in the seat where, um, you know, where I'm being set up with younger writers. And, and it is an, an incredible thing because they do walk into this town. They're, they're not as jaded. You know, after 10 years, you definitely <laughs> could get to that place. Or 20 years, you can get to that place. Right. Um, They've got a fresh, you know, fresh ideas, a fresh outlook on, on songs or a new inspiration, and it just, it kind of just creates this beautiful cycle and this beautiful freshness, and um, it's really just this beautiful like school almost. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Here, so. Well, not only are legends like Kenny and Dolly singing your songs, but Garth Brooks cut Tacoma on his 2014 Man Against Machine record. 
putting yet another country icon on the growing list of artists tapping into the Caitlin Smith songbook. Um, but just when we thought we could pin you down as a straight up country songwriter, here comes Like I'm Gonna Lose You, which he wrote with Megan Trainer, which she recorded with John Legend, taking it to number one on the U.S. Adult Top 40 chart, top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 2015. Huge song. So I'm gonna love you like I'm Was my it was my very first number one, so it's so so special to me. Um, but I wrote that song with Megan and uh, with another amazing writer, Justin Weaver. And I had heard a few demos. You know, Megan was kind of taking trips back and forth from uh, Nantucket to Nashville um, before moving here, and I, I had heard a few demos of her floating around and was just blown away. I'm like, who is this girl? Like, she's so cool. And so my, my publisher set us up on a, on a, on a writing session and she had just signed her first publishing deal and she was so excited. Um, but hadn't had a record deal yet at that point. And so we were thinking we were just writing a song for pitch. She had had this idea, um, floating in her brain because she had this crazy dream that she had lost her brother and was kind of just in a weird mood. It was just kind of just shaken up that day. And, um, and Justin had thrown the song title. How about like, I'm going to, I want to love you. Like I'm going to lose you. Like you'd thrown that in the room and we were like, this is beautiful. And so, uh, we wrote the song and kind of were thinking maybe we pitch it to Kelly Clarkson or something. I don't know. Um, I mean, I remember I say, I, Megan played the ukulele on the demo. I sang the demo. Um, and the story of the song um, you know, she, she then went on and, uh, wrote this song all about that bass, which landed her a record deal. And, right. um, now, now it's a few years down the road. Um, and apparently her uncle had a copy of our demo of the song and always loved it. Um, but our version was written in kind of this reggae, dun, 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 I'm gonna love you. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, but her uncle just begged her to record a version of it on her record. And so she went into the studio, uh, kind of recut it in this six, eight timeless kind of sound. And, and, um, and they actually cut it in my friend Chris Galbuda's like, like tiny little studio room in East Nashville. And then, um, pulled John Legend on the song, which was completely <laughs> insane to me. Nice. Um, and so now this little song that we just were writing on one random day, you know, years later then becomes a hit, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, you'd been trying to write your version of Natural Woman all those years. You got your 6-8 song. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love a good 6-8. <laughs> That's cool. Thank you, Megan Trainer's uncle. Someday I need to buy him a bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Well, after several years of writing songs in Nashville, your first major label single release as an artist, Starfire, came out in late 2017. 
Tell us a bit about that song and about the process of writing the album of the same title. I had spent a lot of years in Nashville writing for other people. Um, but always in the back of my mind, I wanted to be the artist. I wanted to get back on the stage. Um, and through the years, I went around to record labels and uh, would play some of my songs and, and try and see if I could get a record deal. Um, but I heard no from every single label in town multiple times. And, and instead of them them signing me, they would actually take the songs that I was singing in those pitch meetings and record them on other artists on their labels. Right. Um, and so it was a you know it was a long and winding road for me as an artist. Um, and after hearing no from all of these labels, I kind of stepped back and um, and just thought, man, I really do want to make a record. Um, I wonder what that would look like, and I wonder if I just take my own money and make my own damn record. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so that's what led me to to go in and, and record Starfire. And um, in the song specifically um, that the album is named after is actually a name of uh, an old guitar that my dad had given me. Hmm. And it's a nineteen it's a nineteen sixty three Guild Starfire. This beautiful old electric, and um, you know, I had written that song about kind of the struggle that I went through in Nashville of of hearing no and um, a million times, but it was kind of my anthem to myself of like, don't give up, baby. Like, uh, you know, don't let it burn you out. Just keep singing and keep burning bright. Yeah. And so, um, so you know, that was one of the first songs that I had written that I knew like this is. This is for me. Um, and then shortly after that, other songs, you know, kind of poured out in the room that were also on that album, like This Town is Killing Me, very near and dear to my heart, and also about the journey of going from uh, songwriter to artist as well. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about This Town is Killing Me. I think that's one of the more striking songs on that record. Um, I mean, the the lyrics... They buried my granddad without me because I was out on the road at some one-off show in Tupelo, and I can't take that one back. I was in love once, and I pushed him away, and the price I pay is a whole lot of lonely nights and a whole lot of songs that never see the light. Nashville, you win. Your steel guitars and broken hearts have done me in. I gave you my soul because I wanted it so bad, and now I just want to go home. This town is killing me. I mean, (laughs) man, how much autobiography made its way into that song for you? I wrote that song with uh, Paul Moak, who produced Starfire, uh, and my other friend, Gordy Sampson. And um, that song really poured out of all of the years of being here. Um, that, that very first lyric of, you know, I pour my heart out on a J-45, um, three minutes at a time on a J-45 with no one listening, is about playing at 3rd and Lindsley in Nashville, and and it was this industry event, and I'm singing this really heartbreaking song, and it was an open tab, and so everybody is just talking so loud, and they don't they don't give a shit about the song that you're playing. Right. So um, you know, so I'm you know giving little snapshots of the journey that the line about my granddad, I really did um, miss his funeral um, because I had a trip here to Nashville, and. Um, and it was crazy because 
I had brought that idea, I'd thrown that idea into the room, and it just so happened that the same thing happened to Paul and the same thing happened to Gordy, where they both missed important funerals because of a gig. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, each of us in the room were kind of throwing our Nashville heartbreak stories into the song, but um, but I've lived all those all those lines for sure. Nashville, you win. Your steel guitars and broken hearts have done me in. I gave you my soul. Cause I wanted it so bad and now I just want to go home. This time is killing me. This time is killing me. We already mentioned that your second monument album, Supernova, was recently released. And, you know, artists have their entire lives to write the first album, but then another album is due within a year or two, uh, creating, you know, this much more compressed time frame to write it. Were the songs on Supernova all intentionally written for the second record in a compressed period of time, or were these things that you'd been working on over uh, over several years and, and different songs from different periods? majority of the record was written in that two-year period. And um, and a couple of the songs uh, had been written before and were maybe um, contenders for Starfire, but didn't quite fit the body of work. Um, but I always felt the closeness to the song. Um, but, you know, I, I wrote a lot of the songs in these two years between releasing Starfire and, you know, when the record was finished. And um, uh, you know, I released, released Starfire and then started touring and, and then shortly after I started touring, found out I was pregnant and, and so, you know, there was a, uh, there's a lot of, I joke there's a lot of feelings in this record and I, I joke that it's because I was so pregnant when I was writing it that <laughs> there's just these extra, extra layers of, of emotions. Um. But it definitely is a different beast, you know? Like you said, you have your whole life to write your first record, and then then you've got to deliver a record number two, and, and it's like, where do you go from here? Um, and for me, Supernova, I was just really wanting to press more into um, into those emotions. And, you know, it ended up, this record kind of turning into, all of these songs are kind of like... Um, tiny vignettes of the human emotion we've got you know we've got uh loneliness and loss and heartbreak and um sadness and um and and hope as well and so um you know where the record kind of emotionally is all over the map it is intentional because um i wanted to kind of hit on on all of these expressions of our humanity well, I've got to ask about All Over Again from the new record, which you wrote with Shane McAnally and Ryan Tedder. And Shane's been on our show before. Absolutely impressive guy. And Ryan, of course, has had such phenomenal success as a pop writer. Um, tell us a bit about that experience. That was an absolute dream writing songwriting scenario. <laughs> um, I love writing with Shane. Him and I have collaborated uh, for a long time. He's one of my favorite people in Nashville to write with. Um, he makes you feel so comfortable in the room and really, really 
uh, is an incredible cheerleader in the room, which is really one of his strengths. Yeah. Um, it makes you think whenever you write a song that you are writing the very best song you've ever written. <laughs> it's really a gift. Um, but it keeps the energy and the positivity about the song, which I think is really important. Um, but that day we wrote, um, and, and writing with Ryan was also a dream. I, when I moved to Nashville 11 years ago, he was on the top of my list of my dream list of people that I've wanted to write with. And so to finally have the opportunity to collaborate with him was, I was, I was very nervous, <laughs> right. um, but it was really uh, so much fun. Uh, we wrote it at Ryan's studio in L.A., and, you know, it was a total, like I said, a total dream day. We had kind of thrown some, you know, ideas into the room, and, and the song was written so very fast. Like, um, I think Ryan had thrown this the, the song title out, and we're all just kind of like, you know, saying a word and singing it, and like, it was like, uh, almost like playing hot potato, <laughs> uh, right? In in because in Ryan only had like a couple hours to write, so we were trying to do this really fast. And so you know, the chorus was written like in like thirty minutes, like so quickly. Where hmm. we're just throwing hot potato. What about this? Sing that. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh no, that doesn't feel right. And um, I just remember kind of like trying to not just have my jaw open the whole time <laughs> as I'm watching <laughs> these other two brilliant artists, you know, artists and writers in the room, just um, watching them work and think. And, um, you know, Ryan is so gifted with melody. He'll sing this line that, you know, in a melody that I would never do in a million years. Um, and that's why it's so fun. That's why you co-write, because you get to experience another songwriter and in a totally different lens and a totally different way of creating music and, um, and it was so inspiring. So we wrote the chorus, and then um, I remember Ryan having to go cut vocals on Sam Smith or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. He needed to run. And so um, so then Shane and I slowed down, and, and we kind of honed in on the verses. And um, You know, I kind of went back, and I call it the vault, where you kind of, you know, you dig back in those, you know, darker places or those, you know, those past relationships that, um, you know, where you know, really kind of what, you know, that made you who you are. Yeah. Um, whether they're good or bad. And so we kind of, you know, I feel like everybody's got that person that, right. you know, you loved so, they burned so brightly, right? You loved them so much, but you just couldn't fix them. Mm -hmm. And you knew that it wasn't like good for you or wasn't right for you. But even though it was hard, you would still do it. I could have seen it talk about co-writing and how it, it takes you in directions that you might not otherwise think of yourself. And, you know, Nashville is such a, a, a co-writing town. Um, I'm curious if you get the chance to write solo very often, or if you even, you know, enjoy writing solo as, as compared to the collaborative process. I try to carve out time, um, 
in you know it's not every week but every couple weeks where I just pick up my guitar and I see what happens see kind of what falls out and usually I'll start something and then think well that's really good I know I've got a session with this person coming up I'm going to save that for them um or I'll just you know but I'm constantly um I'm constantly writing yeah um you know I really am a songwriter to my core I've always got my antennas up and so you know I've got my notes in my phone that's kind of just a running a running either a list of titles or even just if I if I think of like a couple lines or I hear a couple lines said in a movie or see a cool billboard that says something weird I write it down yeah and so you know I've got this continual list going continual antennas up um but all that to say, uh, I don't normally sit down and write a song from top to finish. I think um, just because I've been co-writing for so many years, right, <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's actually kind of terrifying <laughs> to sit down right. and write a song top to bottom because you don't have anybody else to blame it on when you're finished, <laughs> like if it's not good. <laughs> right. So like that's all me. Yeah. And even if it's like, even if you're sitting in a room with someone and they're not even contributing, just saying that's good, that's good. <laughs> right. Um, that somehow makes it way, way better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, you you've certainly had the opportunity to sit in the room with some really interesting artists, including Chris Isaac, with whom you wrote Down in Flames, uh, Laurie McKenna, with whom you wrote The Bird and the Rifle. But uh, I want to ask you about the song Glasgow, which you wrote with Oscar-winning actress and songwriter Mary Steenburgen, and um, earned you guys a 2020 Critics' Choice Award for its use in the film Wild Rose. Ain't no yellow brick road running through Glasgow. But I found one that's stronger than stone Ain't no place like home Ain't no place like home Ain't no place like home This song took us on quite a little journey, which was really, really fun. Um... So Mary has been writing here in town for probably a decade now. I met her about four years ago. And um, what I love about her writing style is coming from an actor, you know, background, she, like, gets in the character's head, like, perfectly. And so her and I, like, she, she's just a dream co-writer for me because we really speak the same language. Hmm. Um, and... And, and write with the same, you know, colors. And um, and so this song specifically, you know, she had gotten a copy of the script. And um, Kate York is also a writer on the song. And so, you know, her and Kate kind of had started the song earlier that day. Uh, and then Kate had to go home. And so then um, I got to Mary's house and she was like, well, here, we've got kind of these words here. And, and so then Mary and I ended up um, finishing it. And um, and it was so cool, you know, writing specifically for film is a different tool belt than if you're writing for yourself or if you're writing for another artist. Um, it's, just a, it's a slight shift in how you're doing it, um, you know, because 
you're given you're given the parameters. You're given okay. We need um, we need this kind of song. They usually will give you some references of vibes. Um, so we need a song that sounds like this. Um, and you know you'll you'll kind of get the, the the characters vibe, and you'll get you know where it's at in the scene and how maybe it's moving the plot along or not. In the instance of this song, Glasgow, um, it was like the end. It's I don't know if you've seen Wild Rose, but it's the end of the movie. It is like the culmination of the whole plot, and here is her song that she's singing to her mom. So it's a little bit. It was a little bit daunting. But also, I love a good challenge. <laughs> and so it was very fun to write. It was crazy because the song, I mean, it won the, it actually tied for a Critics' Choice Award with Elton, Elton John's, um, uh, the song for the Rocketman movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, which is kind of crazy. It's even crazier than winning. Like, tying with Elton John is like, <laughs> That's insane to me. Right. I'm okay with that. If I'm going to have a tie, it might as well be with Elton. Right, right. Well, before we let you go, um, I want to ask, what is your personal favorite of the songs from the new record, Supernova? It's hard to pick a favorite because all of your songs are like your your children. Right. Okay, so I'll just ask you, which is your favorite of your children? Yeah, which is my favorite child? <laughs> Every day, um, I go between Supernova and Lonely Together, uh, only because I think, I mean, I think they're the best crafted songs on the record. I'm very proud of them. Yeah. Um, Lonely Together is speaking to me now because in this crazy time of social distancing, it's like everybody's theme song, and and you know what I'm proud of is that it is it is so raw. Um, and I feel like it's almost like a page out of my, my diary. You got a heart like mine. I can name every color. You make me feel like I'm not going insane. And when you're by my side, oh, I get a little bit better. Hold me, let's be lonely. Caitlin, thank you very much for some great music and for spending some time with us today to, to chat about your whole career and, and especially the, uh, the new record. And uh, thank you for giving us, uh, you know, this cool new Instagram live uh, series, which is a great idea during this time. So there's still plenty of ways for folks to, uh, to connect with you and to enjoy what you're doing. And um, just wish you all the best with this uh, record. And it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you guys having me. So y'all stay safe, stay healthy, and stay sane. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you. So please take a moment now to subscribe to Songcraft in your podcast app of choice and sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com. As a reminder, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow to find out how you can help support us. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash songcraftshow. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.